everybody out there. This is, of course, Gary, and welcome back to another episode of uh, Loosen Up the Offense, a program that, of course, has a tagline, and that tagline is, hang loose, fuck nuts, no offense. Now, as all you loyal fuck nuts out there no doubt recall, every week, I sit down with my good for nothing second cousin, Ed. We split a mason jar full of horse tranquilizers in V8, and we talk about a comic book. Either the geriatric Jiu-Jitsu Goebbels, or Rob Leafield's seminal work, Youngblood. We've been doing this for 712 episodes so far, and that's the way they've all gone. And now this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, of course, welcome to the show, my good-for-nothing second cousin, Ed. Eddie, how you doing? Hey, man. I'm doing fine. Yeah, it's good to hear. Good to hear. You might not be doing so fine after you hear a little bit about uh, what's different about this show. I think the second detail you'll be pleased about the first one might take some adjusting. As I said, we always split a mason jar filled with horse tranquilizers in V8. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this week I was not able to get the horse tranquilizers. My, uh, my connection for the, the horse tranquilizers, uh, Mr. Cloppy, he's a horse, he's got a prescription for him. Right. He found Christ, and now he's off lecturing middle schools about the importance of helmet safety. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, I wish him the best of luck with his, uh, on his personal journey. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if uh, Mr. Cloppy doesn't uh, maybe have his personal journey swing by over this direction... So that, uh, you know, he can pay me that $500 he owe me. Maybe uh, me, him, and the water are all going to have a little personal journey down to the glue factory, if you know what I mean. Oof. So, I'm sorry, Ed. I did, of course, still put a mason jar into the pneumatic tube that leads over to your house. For those of you who are new to the program, I don't know why you'd be tuning in for this one. You may not realize uh, Ed, of course, lives in an abandoned Washington Mutual. It's got a pneumatic tube. Uh, social distancing and whatnot, I normally put the horse tranquilizers in a mason jar, feed it through the pneumatic tube. This week, it's a little something different in the mason jar. Why don't you take a sip and tell me what you think? All right. Hmm. Yeah, now that's a uh, Jägermeister and Dimatap, mostly. Uh, there's some, some chunky bits in there. Those didn't trip you up too bad, did they? You couldn't get any Robitussin? All right, calm down there, buddy. You, you know I went through all the Robitussin last week when we covered the Goebbels. Uh, you remember, of course, they were doing that crossover with RoboCap, and uh, I figured I would make it an all-Robo-themed episode. Oh, that's right. Now, that was in addition to the horse tranquilizers. Mr. Cloppy hadn't proven himself to be a fucking flake yet, but uh, the, the chunky bits didn't slow down your, your drinking too much, did they? Do I want to know what they are? Yeah, they're, they're Flintstone chewables. Mostly. I, I muddled them in there. Oh, that's a health beverage. Yeah, well, I say Flintstones chewables. Technically, they're wacky races chewables. They're, they're like Flintstones chewables in that they're vitamins that are shaped like Hanna-Barbera creations. But in this case, the Dick Dastardly and Muttley ones are uh, a mild psycholytic drug. Oh, all right. And this batch did happen to be especially uh, marked, oops, all dick dastardlies. Uh, and then there was a little asterisk that said, for podcasters. What are the chances of that? Uh, given the place I do my shopping, I would have to say 100%. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. 
okay. That, that's one thing that's yeah, a little bit different. We'll see how it plays out, but I gotta say, tasty beverage I got right here. The other difference is, as I said, for the past 711 episodes, we've been alternating gangrene jujitsu geriatric gerbils. That's not the order that goes in. <laughs> I guess this is a pretty good drink. Thanks, Dick Dastardly. <laughs> We've been uh, alternating the geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils uh, comics with uh, Youngblood comics. Uh, of course, uh, Emperor Comics, Rob Liefeld, how will be his name and all that whatnot. Critically acclaimed, beautiful series. Each one more anatomically accurately drawn and on time than the last. But... We wrapped up our run of Youngblood. There's no new Youngblood comics. We ended up hitting them all. What? I know. I know. We went through all 364 issues of Rob Liefeld's Youngblood. Now, about 112 of those we did in a single week when Mr. Cloppy accidentally gave us his prescription for horse cocaine instead of horse tranquilizers. Oh, that was such a handsome week. Indeed it was. I never felt better about myself. And then afterwards, I never felt worse, probably. Not so good. Got a lot done. Covered a lot of uh, comic books that week, which is why we ran out of uh, Youngblood comics. Despite, as I said, how on time every issue of it so far has come out. And the timing could not have been better for that, because it actually coincided with uh, Rob Liefeld himself. I don't know how he heard about the podcast. Maybe all the letters I sent him. <laughs> he sent us a, uh, a letter of congratulations on all of the hard work that we've done. No kidding. Well, it was technically more of a cease and desist letter, but there was a congratulatory note to it, I, I would say, in, in terms of tone. Uh, and it was printed, of course, on a snowboard. Uh, because it's from Extreme Studios, where he works, so, you know, I, I got that in the office. Huh. But, yeah, it brings us to a bit of a conundrum, because uh, what's loosen up the offense if, if we don't have Youngblood? It's just offensive? Well, I certainly hope not, but yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, I thought, what could possibly fill the tiny little shoes of Youngblood? And uh, suddenly it, it struck me like a bolt out of the blue. Of course, you have to move on to the other most popular franchise, The Protectors. Hmm. But I don't want to do another team book. We've done two team books. Let's switch, switch it up a little bit. And if you're only going to focus on one member of The Protectors, then of course, it's going to be the ferret. You are partial to orange and green. Well, who is it? I bleed orange and green. Uh, what, at what point, literally? I should probably see an actual doctor and not just a veterinarian that I'm trying to scam horse tranquilizers out of. Although, once this pandemic clears up, we do need to put that horse costume back on and head back to that guy, see if we can get something. Sure. All right. I'm glad to see you're not too, uh, too big for your britches ever since you got that uh, honorary doctor of the divinity from DeVry. No, no, no. It's very humbling. Yeah, still the same old Dr. Ed over there. Yeah. Good. Well, you still have to be the back end of the horse. Mm. Hey, he knows the rules. We drew straws 15 years ago. All right, just no chili this time. I do what I do. So, Dr. Ed, we all know the ferret. 
is one of the most popular creations in the history of comic books. What's your personal history with the ferret? Did you first get into the cartoons, the, the movies, the old radio show, the, the action figure play set, sets? What, what was your introduction to the ferret? You know, I, I have to be honest. I actually somehow missed the cultural phenomenon that was a ferret until uh, I was seeing what were the, you know, the top Steam downloads for games. What? And the ferret game was the top one. So I downloaded that, and from there on, it was just all ferrets. What? That was your first encounter with the ferret? How did you miss all the movies and the cartoons? Yeah, I don't know. I just been here hunkered down in the bank, <laughs> playing some games, and... Yeah, but what about the, the 30 years before that? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just so focused on the, the triples and young blood that... I didn't make room for a lot of other media. Oh my god, my mind's friggin' blown right now. Okay, look, I was first introduced to the ferret uh, by my grandfather, possibly our grandfather, I'm never entirely sure how second cousins work, who grew up watching the old Buster Crab movie serials of the ferret. Now, the ferret that I was gonna say you and I know, but I feel like I don't know you at all anymore, Ed. That's hurtful. Well, I... I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to be hurtful, but to me it's hurtful that you could have... Uh, look, I'm sorry, I know you like to hunker down in your abandoned bank. You moved in there because during the full moons, you, you went through that period where you were afraid you were werewolfing out, you wanted to lock yourself in a bank vault. I understand all that. It's just, uh... It's coming as a pretty big shock. I, I mean, what, you never seen the Macy Day Thanksgiving Parade? The what? The Macy Day Thanksgiving Parade. It happens every year on Macy Day. They, they got the big balloon and a ferret coming out over the people going, ah. Yeah, I'm imagining the screaming in my mind because uh, balloons don't talk. Uh, I don't really, I'm not much of a crowds person. Uh, all right. I, that lycanthropy that you don't actually suffer from, I'm, I'm sorry. Has kept you away from some wonderful things, but but I, I gotta say, first and foremost amongst that is exposure to the ferret. Because, man, you have been missing out. Yeah, you read the comic in preparation for today, right? Oh, I did. Alright, well now you see what you've been missing out on. I can, I can start filling you in on some of his back catalog later. That sounds delightful. Alright, well, let me give, I guess, both you and the listeners, if there's anybody out there who like you, is unfamiliar with this character. I'm having difficulty imagining such a thing, but all right, here we go. So, character first started 1941 in a book called Man of War Number 2. Uh, comic books had been around for a little while, but nothing had really caught on before. You know, it was uh, kind of a fad. Nobody really gave a shit about any of it. All of a sudden, onto the scene comes Cal Dalton, the ferret. Denton. Oh, no, 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 my friend. The Golden Age Ferret was, in fact, called Cal Dalton. What? Yeah, they had to switch up the name. I think uh, the writer was worried about maybe being sued by Dalton from Roadhouse, uh, his very intimidating character, or possibly B.D. Dalton booksellers, but they changed it from, uh, from Dalton to Denton. So, uh, so stick that in your pipe and smoke it and then pass it this way, because I could use a few dokes if you know what I'm saying. I guess pain does hurt. It certainly would in this scenario. I don't believe it would for our old friend Cal Dalton, the Golden Age Ferret, on account of he was, uh, you know, invulnerable. 
Now, uh, he was a fellow who wore a blue union suit, uh, had, a, had a yellow cape. He was a police commissioner. He had been elected to that position from the Honest Citizens Committee. And uh, his first adventure just took the world by storm. He wore a little furry ferret head as a cowl over his own head, so it had like two sets of eyes. Striking imagery really just caught the world's imagination by storm. Showed up, seven-page story. That's all it took to set the world ablaze. That's on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, blazing. Mm-hmm. Now, these kids ran out, and they want to imitate their hero, the ferret's uh, distinctive headgear. So they, they ended up uh, trying to make their own ferret hats. A lot of them were made out of raccoons. Uh, you'll see pictures of kids from that era wearing uh, raccoon crap on their head. Because, uh, you, know, you know, kids are idiots, but they love the ferret. That's where that came from. Pretty short adventure in his first outing. Some gangsters were trying to keep milk from getting to an orphanage. And uh, he put the stop to that little plan, I'll tell you. Those orphans got plenty of dairy. Those orphans probably got the kidneys of a 97-year-old dairy farmer they had so much goddamn milk. Because uh, the ferret doesn't do things by half measures. It's true now, it was true back then. Hmm. Now, the ferret was everywhere for the next 30 years. The, this version of the ferret, the Cal Dalton ferret. You got your, your radio dramas, you had your endorsement deals. The crazy thing is, though, nobody knows who drew this comic strip. Hmm. It just seemed to, like, appear when people most needed it. Like uh, some sort of furry-headed superhero brigadoon. It was done anonymously. I don't think anybody's ever taken credit for it. And there's a couple of different conspiracy theories uh, that might explain partly why that might be. Uh, my favorite being that it was actually written and drawn by FDR. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the timing adds up. He was alive at the time. He was president. Probably being president, you don't want to necessarily let people know you're drawing the cartoon books. At that time, uh, PF, pre-ferret, Comic book artist had never been elected president before. I mean, it's probably, what, a solid 25 years before the Haney administration. Yeah, it could be a certain social stigma against that. That's a, a personal favorite story of mine. Um, maybe a little bit more likely is it was the fallout from Ferret Flake cereal that kept whoever was responsible from stepping forward because they were worried about the lawsuits. Mm, mm-hmm. Ferret Flake cereal was, of course, a very popular breakfast cereal endorsed by the ferret. He showed up on the box cover and was like, uh, take a bite out of crime with these ferret flakes. And uh, they were essentially little chips of cardboard that were coated with a sweet paste. Now, it came out that that paste was mostly heroin. And there were some lawsuits that resulted from that. They found a loophole, of course. Uh, it technically couldn't be regulated by the FDA because that's the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, the ferret freaks had so little nutritional value that they could not be qu classified as food. And it's not the Food or Drug Administration. So uh, the publishers were let off the hook, but uh, it did kind of slow down the ferret mania that was sweeping the nation. Wow. Now, despite the ferret's enormous popularity, there were no other ferret comic books that came out during that time. And both nature and the publishing world abhor a vacuum, so you started to see a lot of knockoffs starting to crop up. I mean, starting way back in the golden age with, uh, you know, your Wonder Weasel, the Pink Mink, um, Captain Ermine. 
Uh, and also there was this uh, obscure fella, maybe you've never even heard of him. Uh, he was called like Super Duper Guy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, su- su- Super Duper Man, I think. And he came from this planet called Krapton, uh, but he was just such an obvious knockoff of the ferret. <laughs> it was kind of embarrassing. It's like, yeah, you can copy my work, but don't make it so obvious, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, he wore a blue suit, he had a cape, he flew around. It didn't have a ferret over his head, thank God, but uh, but still, a little bit on the nose. And when he was back on his uh, home planet, uh, uh, Krapton, guess, guess what his secret name was? Um... It was Cal. Can you fucking believe it? Oh. I mean, on Earth, he called himself, like, uh, Clock or something, but mm-hmm. but on his uh, home planet, it uh, crapped on, he was, he was called Cal. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, come on, guys. There's a reason that one never really took off, I think. Mm. Anyway, flash forward about 30 years later, some other, like, minor comic book publishers, like uh, your, your Marvel comics or your, your detective comics, they had a run for a little while. You've probably never heard of them if you're not a comic historian. But uh, they they decided to start putting out their own ferret knockoffs. They're like, ah, people seem to like this uh, super-powered musculate. So, uh, you know, they would start having uh, some kind of rodent get their powers or whatnot. Some of your bigger publishers were doing it too. First comics, of course, had the Badger, became very popular. Mm-hmm. You got your, uh, the Skunk, of course. But, but some of these, like, minor publishers, like, like the Marvelous Comics, they tried pulling out a dude called uh, Wolverine. Can you imagine? <laughs> Get this. Here's, here's a description of the guy. Okay. He's got claws. He's got an animalistic nature. He's got animal senses. He sometimes can't control his bloodlust. Sound familiar? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you just read this comic book. I think you see what I'm getting at. I do. Yeah, I don't. I had to look it up. Apparently, a Wolverine is. Uh, I thought at first it was like a uh, a wolf flavored mouthwash, but but it's not. Which which means market's still open on that. So uh, patent pending, patent pending. I'm gonna mail this podcast to myself, so I uh, don't go stealing that idea. But it's not that. I thought maybe he's like, oh, is that like uh, Ben Vereen's feral brother? But no, it's not. It's uh, it turns out a uh, Wolverine is uh, another kind of uh, mustelid. It's it's known as a stink bear. And, uh, yeah, I think you can see why this fella never really caught on. It's the biggest one we got. Uh, right, I don't know what that's in reference to. Muscolids. Oh, I forget about you and your animal fun facts. So you had heard of this, uh, this wolferini business. Yeah, largest mustelid around. Okay, well, good for you with your animal fun facts. Thanks for coming through, Daddy. Can't believe you haven't heard of a ferret before, but uh, I'm sorry, it's, that one's going to take me a minute. I, I told you I heard of him just through the, the video game franchise that came out after all the, uh, the older stuff. Well, yeah, but not until like last year, right? Right. So until 12 months ago, you knew that a wolferini was not a delicious canine pasta, but you had never heard of the most famous superhero in the universe. Right. Okay. Anyway, flash forward, he is 1993, uh, you get brilliant genius, you know him, I know him, R.A. Jones takes over Malibu, starts uh, writing this comic book, The Ferret. Uh, Ferret doesn't first show up in his own solo title. First, they bring back a whole bunch of different heroes who first showed up in the 40s, a group called The Protectors. You've you've heard of them, right? You've seen the movies and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? 
Sure, sure. So I gotta ask you, like, uh, between, like, Man of War, Amazing Man, Air Man, The Arrow, Mighty Man, Mass Marvel, who, who's your favorite? I think just based on the name, I gotta go with Mighty Man. Yeah, he's pretty mighty. Pretty mighty. Uh, yeah, he's not so bad. But uh, they threw the ferret on this team book, too. And uh, people were like, oh, this ferret fella, that sounds familiar. As I said, they changed his name a little bit. He's now Cal Denton. He's not a police commissioner anymore. Not by any stretch of the imagination. I gotta say, this fella's got a bad attitude. Mm. And that's part of why I think people gravitate to him. He's also got a, just a tremendous mane of, like, beautiful blonde hair. He's a rock and roll star. He likes to murder people. You no, know, no, he's no, the no, no. He can't. He, he would like to murder people, but he, he never does, right? What, are you a fucking cop? I'm just saying. Oh, it's my catchphrase. Everybody loves it. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have to answer the question, Ed. Are you a fucking cop? Um... Yeah, you know, and I know that I am i am not a cop. Okay, but, you know, I, I gotta ask periodically, because if you are, you, you have to tell me, because otherwise it's in rapture. And then you'd go to jail, and i get your squad car. That's the way in rapture works. Yep. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? Um, your favorite protector. Oh, gosh. I mean, if I had to choose one, obviously, ferret excluded, because number one with a bullet every time. Um, I guess a uh, man of war, probably. I mean, I hate to be it's, uh, kind of basic. Mm. Everybody loves man of war, but there's a reason for that. But yeah, R.A. Jones started writing this, and man, they caught on like a house of fire. He, he, he was writing most of the spinoffs, and just, uh, again, there's that fun, like, level of anonymity. Nobody knows what the IA stands for. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not familiar with the, the ferret, you're surely familiar with uh, R.A. Jones, right? Well, I just thought it was the title, like, the guy in the dorm. Oh, like he's a resident advisor. Yeah. Well, that's one theory I've, I've actually heard that. Uh, I had heard, and th this is my, my own personal pet theory, I think, uh, that the RA stands for Raging Erection. Because uh, this guy's got a real hat on for writing great comic books. <laughs> but it's interesting you bring up the title, because this book is illustrated by a guy named Dean Zachary, and a lot of people think his name's Dean Zachary, but it's, it's not. He's, he's actually the dean of a college. And that's why, despite the tremendous success of the ferret, and then later on he went to work for some of those, uh, you know, rinky-dink publishers I was talking about on some shit you never probably heard of, like uh, your Star Wars and your, uh, your, your Batted Man or something like that. But mostly, he went back to his one true passion, which was uh, keeping those fun-loving pranksters of the Sigma house from graduating college. Oh. Because uh, he's a crusty old dean. Right. And, and that's his real true passion, is, uh, oh, he hates those pranks to kids from, from that fun-loving frat house. He really liked to put them in their place. Well, they're probably pretty loud. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no argument here. Fuck those fucking fuck nuts. Uh, no offense. So I, I think that gets most of the background information out of the way. And now you want to just dive in and start taking a look at this really touchstone issue of the ferret number one. Yeah, I think we should. And 
I just got to tell you, I was blown away that the comic book is in the shape of the ferret's head. Oh, yeah, the whole comic book. It's a, That's one of the first things you notice. It's a die-cut cover that is cut out to look like the fella's head. Now, what's even more impressive is the 25th issue is cut out in the shape of one of his arms. The 50th issue is cut out in the shape of his other arm, and so forth. Once you get all 225 issues, you can put together your own ferret and uh, take him out on adventures with you. It's one of the fun touches of the series. That is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty clever idea. You see it replicated a lot, not usually as well done as it is here. Sometimes you'll get a comic book and it's cut out in the shape of a bullseye and uh, you try to open it up, the whole thing falls apart because it's just a bunch of concentric circles. You got to hold them in place with one hand while you turn the pages. It's a freaking nightmare. So not necessarily crazy about everything that's been done with uh, this technology since then, but this is where it all started and just really a stunning, stunning choice here. Stunning. Uh, the other thing you're probably going to notice about the cover is that uh, the ferret here is uh, having a, he's grimacing pretty hard, and he's, uh, he's got a pretty bad uh, nosebleed. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like, oh, he's just tough, he probably got hit in the face and whatnot, but I believe this is foreshadowing a little story arc that comes up about, like, yeah, 40 issues later, where, uh... It's this uh, amazing storyline. It's actually written by Joan Didion, and it's Ferret Quest, the quest for a humidifier. And uh, just really stunning stuff. You see the bread comes, the bread comes, you see the, the seeds for that story planted all this way back on this cover. Wow. So uh, pretty clever stuff there. Now, you open it up, you get your credits page. Uh, of course, we talked about old uh, R.A. Jones. Yeah, my theory, Raging Erection Jones, because he's got a hat on for writing great comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, crusty old Dean Zachary is the, uh, the artist. Mm -hmm. Beautiful stuff. Dean Zachary Penciler. What? Dean Zachary Penciler. Yeah, that's what that's I said. It's an appropriate name for an artist. That's all. How, how, how do you figure well, because his last name sounds like, uh, like a pencil. Zachary sounds like a pencil? No, his last name, Penciler. Oh, okay, I see the confusion here. That actually is the title. That's not part of his name. It's listed that he, he uh, drew this with a pencil initially. Oh. Understandable confusion. That makes the rest of the names make so much more sense. Right. You, you thought maybe this was like a Smurf situation where everyone's name reflects their profession. Oh, uh, no, I just thought they were confusing names. But, uh, yeah, no, that would make more sense. All right, Ed. I can tell you're liking this drink, huh? Those Wacky Races uh, chewables, pretty good stuff. Yeah. All right, then we get into the interior of the comic. And, oh, boy, I envy you that you were reading this for the first time. When you saw this, because, of course, I've seen so many reprints of this over the years and commemorative plates with this image. But uh, what, 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 what was your reaction to it? Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. The uh, bad guy that he's holding over the edge of the roof has some uh, amazingly tight pants. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing about the, the ferret's outfit here, too. You see, it's, again, another instance of foreshadowing. This guy... 
we don't really ever learn what his origin is. That's part of the mystery of the character. Has a couple of different reasons behind it. Uh, helps with the myth building, I understand, when you don't actually know. And also, there's a certain masking phenomena where you can picture yourself as the hero. But one of the touches that we do get of his origin later on is that he had his taint surgically enhanced, and that is on full display in this image. Look at the size of that guy's taint. Oh, that's uh, the highlighted bit down there? Yeah, drew a little arrow around it, they did, and uh, just showed you that kind of wide space in there. Remarkable detail. It's quite a gap. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, philosophizing about the uh, similarities between uh, human sociological uh, things and the animal kingdom. Of course, uh, how there's predators and his parasites and whatnot. Uh, and he figures this fellow, he's maybe going to drop off of a building is a, a bit in the latter category, bit of a parasite, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We see that that same line of thinking follows over to the next page there. And uh, this kind of philosophizing about the nature of man and man's role in nature is really symbolic of the character and is one of the main reasons why I believe uh, Werner Herzog directed that ferret movie. Yeah, probably. Now, since you heard about the character last year, you've caught up on some of the media, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, what did you think of that Werner Herzog ferret movie? Well... Mostly I was thinking, just like, when is that ferret going to get out of that cave? Yeah, he put him in there. It was a crossover with one of his other films, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And ferrets do love caves, so it kind of made sense. I was most struck by, I thought it was an interesting casting decision, one I didn't quite necessarily understand. They had the modern-day ferret, uh, portrayed by Willem Dafoe, and then in the flashback scenes, of him as a much younger, like, little kid, the ferret, they had him played by a CGI'd Ray Liotta. <laughs> that is an odd choice. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't quite sure what they were going for, but it, it kept you asking questions, which is the important thing. Anyway, let's get back to the story. This, uh, the ferret, he's got this kid, he's dangling him. How, how's, that, how's, that, how's that situation going? For, uh, for the ferret? No, for Buckminster Fuller. Who do you fucking think? Ah, okay. So, uh, Ferret's, uh, trying to shake the guy down for some information by dangling him over the edge of this building. But the guy's, uh, kind of a wise guy, huh? Oh, like Ray Liotta, I see, very clever. And, uh, he says, um, hey, you know, it's, I'm not scared because everybody knows protectors aren't allowed to, to kill anybody. And the Ferret's like, well, I don't like this jerk at all. And he says, I, I know it's not gonna kill you, but you're gonna get hurt real bad if I drop you. So, uh, better tell me what I need to know. Spoiler alert, and uh, the ferret does drop him off the building, because what he wants to know is, where's your pals? Eh, I'm, I'm gonna go uh, beat them up, too. And then the pals show up, and they got guns, and uh, ferret doesn't care for guns. He doesn't need them, he's got uh, shopping claws for hands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he drops that fella, I'm gonna say probably about uh, nine stories, into this, like, dumpster the size of a shoebox, and, uh, and he listens, and he's like, Hey, he sounds like he's not dead. So I guess I uh, circumvented that uh, no-murder rule that I disapprove of so much. Then he starts mixing it up with these two nimrods, who are pointing their guns at him, and uh, doesn't go so good for those fellas, I would have, I was hazard to say. No, no, not at all, he beats them up. He beats him up real good. It's a, it's a quirk with the ferret. He frickin' he's super violent, but he hates guns. Uh, mostly. 
Mm-hmm. There were a couple issues where he did have the ferret gun, but I don't know how much that counts, seeing as uh, that was just where he hot glued a bunch of knives to a giant gun and would uh, slash people with it. Knives and claws. Hmm. And some little cedar chips, but I think that was mostly just for aesthetics. Yeah, it was, it was an innovative approach. I don't think it necessarily worked out that well, but, you know, they're trying different stuff. So, uh, yeah, he beats up the fellas and then uh, keeps on moving. What, what, what would you say happens next? Well, he smokes a cigarette to celebrate his victory. <laughs> he sure does. And it looks like he's just kind of lighting it with his fist, which traditionally isn't one of his superpowers. Uh, he can't normally do uh, pyrokinetics, but uh, his power set does fluctuate a bit. So uh, possibly that's what's up there. Hmm. I was wondering about that. So yeah, he, he alludes to that he's going to call him an ambulance, so you know he's not a terrible person. What do you think the odds are that after he just eviscerates the guy and pulls out his guts, he's just like, you're an ambulance. (laughs) Good one. That's a pretty good joke. He's a funny fella. I wouldn't put it past him. So uh, the next scene, a hospital-type building that's uh, shrouded in mystery, where we find a darkened ward with a mysterious character in bed hooked up to a bunch of machines and a real uh, dill hole of a... Guy who works there, talking to a lady that works there. Oh, you, you ain't kidding. This is Dr. Slick, as he's called at this point. Of course, we learn a great deal more about that character later on. But uh, he's just, he's so busy hitting on the nest, he doesn't care about his patients. Not, not even a little bit. Nope. As a result of that, we find out that the uh, IV bag has run completely dry. But uh, it's green and yellow and kind of slimy and shiny looking. Which, uh, a little bit of foreshadowing, you know? Yeah, and, and also, so, okay, there's a little bit of other foreshadowing here, which, which you know, you'll be excused for missing, but one of uh, Dr. Slick's lines here is he says, uh, a big ugly goof hasn't so much as blinked. And uh, later on, some interesting things happen. This character looks like he doesn't uh, maybe pull through this issue, but of course we know he comes back later, or I do, because I've been, uh, haven't had my uh, head crammed up my ass in a fucking bunker for the past hundred years. Hey. Yeah, I- I'm-, I'm sorry, hey. I'm sorry. Hey. Uh, I'm a little tense right now, sorry. Easy. Uh, Why don't you have another sip of that uh, Flintstones beverage there? Yeah, all right, perhaps I shall. Perhaps I shall. I, I could use a couple more chewables, I gotta say. And to be fair, it's Wacky Races, not Flintstones. They're very specific with Dick Brandon. That's what I said. So I'm familiar with this character. He ends up becoming a character later on called uh, Dr. Feelgood, who they renamed because they got sued, but initially he was called Doc Goofy. And there's a a few bits of foreshadowing there. First, he calls that guy a big, ugly goof, if you know what I mean. And then we see later, he's like, ah, there's no problem. There's just a bunch of goo going into his uh, arm. Nobody gives a fuck. Whatever. Well, apparently one person gives a fuck, and that's the fella that he so flippantly regarded as a uh, big ugly goof. Mm-hmm. Pops up. Uh-oh. It's Toxin. Yep. Oh, man. I had this action figure when I was a kid. Did you? It's a special feature we'll get to a little bit later. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, literally. I just was just <laughs> pooping all over the house. It was terrible. Oh, no. Well, the thing was, I'd seen ghoulies, and so I didn't want to go near the toilet either, so oh, that's it was a whole situation. Do you see the movie or just the cover of the movie? Oh, they made a movie out of it? <laughs> that's all you needed to see was the cover to be scared of toilets. Huh? I thought that was all it was. 
But we see the second piece of foreshadowing that this guy turns into Doc Goofy. Uh, because when Toxin grabs him by the neck, what, what, does, he, what does he say there, Eddie? Ah, uh, hook. A hook. Yeah, he does his uh, patented Goofy catchphrase. Now, he doesn't say a lot after that because uh, he's, uh, Toxin is not so pleased with this situation. Now, were you familiar with the character Toxin? Yeah, just from the game franchise, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, he's become a very popular character. Uh, kind of an anti-hero. Not, not really an anti-hero, because he's still a villain, but a very sympathetic villain. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's loomed large in popular culture ever since. About ten years after this comic book came out, Britney Spears wrote a, wrote a song about him uh, called uh, Toxin. Yeah, I'm locked in a room, I can't be found, I'm Toxin, you're going under. Very popular song. Uh, and uh, not everybody realizes that it was she felt a certain kinship with this fella. He's had his actions controlled, he hasn't been allowed to be really who he is. So uh, I think there's a certain parallel that can be drawn between uh, Britney Spears' controlling uh, management and this Toxin fella and the government who has been controlling him. So, uh, just a kind of kind of a fun thing to note there. So, you think she wants to kill Ferret? Oh, good luck. I mean, even if she wanted to, I think uh, Brittany would find that trying to kill the Ferret is even harder than uh, R.A. Jones's uh, eponymous condition, if you know what I mean. Uh, I I'm at his boner. Yeah. Anyway, Toxin apparently does in the Dark Goofy uh, would-be fellow villain. Uh, we learn later he ends up being okay. But uh, the nurse ends up screaming out into the night. And, uh, well, then the uh, Toxin's face just kind of melts or something. It's a little unclear. Mm -hmm. What did you think was happening in that panel? Well, I thought that the searing pain ripping through his skull, like lightning through a spring sky, you know? Was she... Huh? No, go, go ahead, continue. Were you making the noise of lightning? <laughs> Whoosh. Yeah, I thought I'd do a little foley work. All right, I, I think that the uh, searing pain ripping through his skull, like uh, lightning through a spring sky, Whoosh. was making the bottom of his jaw fall off? Yeah, I have not noticed that phenomenon myself. Uh, that's not perhaps the type of pain that I've experienced. You're, you're a doctor. Uh, are you familiar with that type of sensation? And can that make the lower half of your head uh, fall off? Oh, sure, yeah. If you get hit by lightning in a spring rain, that's all kinds of mandible damage. Okay, good to know. I'm not a meteorologist, so uh, good to know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Man, they cover all kinds of things in those DeVry classes, don't they? Oh, they do. They do. But uh, what's interesting about this particular scene is when his jaw falls off like that, which, I mean, he gets back later, so... Yeah, good for him. Is, uh, it triggers uh, some deep memories. Interesting. So it's like a psychosomatic response sort mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Like he's got a stored physical memories uh, in his uh, psyche. Right, and his jaw's going to fall off so we can get to him. Right, right. That's a, do you think that's where the phrase uh, jaw-dropping would come when something's very surprising? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, everybody knows that. Okay, calm down there, buddy. Somebody who just discovered the ferret about a fucking year ago. All right, all right. 
interesting that you're casting asparagus on uh, other people's uh, cultural knowledge there. Just interesting, that's all. I'm just noting. Asparagus. Um, so he's uh, having a flashback, and uh, he remembers something really important that he has to do. Oh, yeah? What's that? Shadowy figure. Maybe you know who he is with your deep knowledge of uh, the Ferret franchise. But, uh, well, I don't want to have too many spoilers. As, as I said, I'm, I'm sorry I'm just surprised by this. It kind of blindsided me. But in a way, I envy you that you get to experience all this for the first time. I don't want to have too many spoilers for you. Oh, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been truly delightful. But uh, so he has this flashback to the shadowy figure. It's earlier, several years earlier, October 4th, 1985, that uh, from this moment forward, he has one prime objective, which is to kill the ferret. Toxin gets excited about that, grabs a bunch of paper, puts it on top of a rock, and lifts it over his head, and says, yes! Like, does some aerobics, maybe? Uh-huh, and then he just smashes through that wall and yells, kill the ferret! Yeah, and it's a grade A Kool-Aid man scene. Well, and it's interesting you should mention that, because, of course, they did end up doing a cross-promotional Toxin-branded Kool-Aid to uh, compete with the Ecto-Kool-Aid. It was green, you know. It tasted like garbage, and if you drank too much of it, the lower half of your jaw did in fact fall off. But it's a testament to the popularity of the character that as a villain he would get a Kool-Aid brand, and uh, that it's worth these uh, potential side effects. That's the thing about Toxin. I disapprove of his killing the ferret plan, obviously. Big ferret head over here. But, uh, you gotta appreciate his uh, enthusiasm, and uh, it is nice to have a clear direction, you know? Oh, it's just a joyful, joyful panel. And speaking of joyful, I'm overjoyed at the next scene that we get to see. We finally get to see uh, the ferret and his alter ego, Cal Denton, partying it up in a uh, very small club. That's a, uh, here in Portland, I think, down on Burnside. Well, I try not to give away my location because of my many enemies, but if I were to live in Portland, I would say that, yes, it does kind of resemble a club downtown called Dante's. With the noticeable difference that the place in this comic book looks significantly smaller. It's a club that has, like, about four tables. Uh, There's no more than one person at each table. But we also learn that he is uh, apparently the biggest rock star in the world. Uh, maybe this is, like, exclusive only, but you notice they did put up flyers for it. Well, you gotta put up flyers. What's your theory for why the biggest rock star in the world is playing at a very small venue nobody shows up? Do you think they just thought it was a prank, maybe? Like, there's no way Cal Denton's gonna show up here. You know, I know you're a fan of Cal Denton. I think, though, that what's going on here is that uh, it's, he's got a little bit of an ego thing happening. Oh, really? Yeah. So you don't think he, he's as big a star as he seems to think that he is? Well, no, he may be, but uh, I just don't think he appreciates the, the power of uh, marketing and advertising. I think he just figured, hey, I made flyers. Oh, he just like put up a flyer on the outside of the building. That's the only advertising he did. Figured people will show up. Right. That sort of thing. I think that's it was just a miscalculation on his part. Well... So what's going on in this scene, too, is he is on stage, and he is just singing his ferret heart out. It is beautiful. Brings a tear to my eye. What's interesting is the song that he's singing 
was later released by The Ferret and became a number one worldwide hit. Uh, kind of like when the Archies uh, had that song, Sugar Sugar, back in the, the 70s or whatever. Uh, what This song, Screw What You Had, was, uh, you of course remember it. Yeah, that's why I was, I was so puzzled to realize that the lyric, despite the title of the song being Screw With Your Head, is just, I want to screw your head. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the ways a little plays with your expectations, with the lyricism here. I mean, now, you know me. Next to Jim Morrison, my favorite artist of all time is whoever sang for the ferret. I would think it was Jim Morrison if it was if he was alive. It's like he came back to life just to sing this song and record it. Nobody knows who it was. I have my own theory. I think it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The same person that authored the original. Uh... I think he was cryogenically frozen. He, that's how he gets inside this fella's head. And uh, then they, they thought him out and were like, hey, uh, FDR, Gary. we got a polio vaccine Gary, now. Gary, Gary, Gary. Occam's, yeah. Occam's razor. Morrison died way closer to the time of that song than uh, FDR. So oh. it's, it's much more likely that it's actually So you Jim think that FDR is actually Jim Morrison? Well, take your pick, but I'm just saying it's, it's a possibility. Well, regardless, it's a hell of a song. I know that you love this song. It's on every mixtape that you've ever made. It's credited to just Cal Denton. So uh, perhaps that played into you not realizing that the ferret was a comical book character. But, Ed, I hate to put you on the spot. You know that's like my least favorite thing in the world to do. But you have such a beautiful singing voice. Eddie, can you just sing that song for me? Just for a second for our listeners. I know they'd love to hear it. You, you studied opera for seven years at the conservatory. Just uh, give us a little taste. Um, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna give you a couple lines though, because I don't think we got time to go through the whole thing. It's got so much. Oh, that's beautiful. I would feel so blessed by that, Eddie. L- lyrical content. So uh Oh, all right. All right, everybody, this is it. So get your uh, pocket recorders ready to uh, make your ringtones out of this. Welcome to my inner gloom. Electric visions fill the room. Pay no mind to what I said. I only wanna screw your head. I'm sorry, Eddie. I got something in my eye there. Oh, that's, that's all right. It's all right. That was, that was beautiful. Oh, it was, it was like the ferret was in my ear hole singing at me. It gets you every time that. Oh, my God. Just beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I am not the only person who was moved by that performance. Because when he's done singing, Cal goes over, he notices that there's a lady who's looking at him at a nearby table. And he's like, oh, this lady looks nice. I'm going to maybe go have a little chat with her. And uh, he, of course, lights up a cigarette. And they, they discuss philosophy a little bit. She asks him about being a good role model, and he's like, eh, I don't need to be a role model. That's why kids have parents. And if uh, they're looking up to me, oh, fuck those little fucks. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. More or less. I'm paraphrasing slightly. But uh, the last panel of that, it says he's lighting a cigarette. He's just grinning at this lady and saying, uh, any kid who's stupid enough to choose me as a role model probably deserves to be cleaned out of the gene pool. And when he says that, there's there's a panel that 
really illustrates why they cast Dennis Leary in the uh, ferret <laughs> sitcom that was so popular in the early aughts. Because uh, he really is just given that, uh, that Dennis Leary charm right at the camera. That is, uh, that's a good point. I never put that together before somehow. Now, what did you think of that sitcom? It was, uh, what was it called again, Ed? The Ferret Scent Sack. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, it was, it was weird that they made him kind of a wacky neighbor type. I mean, it would still eviscerate people with his claws, but mostly there was a lot of puns about him, yes, spraying people with a scent sack. He's just rubbing his hindquarters on everything, you know? Oh, but you know what he would still do? Every time he would do it, he would still uh, make his classic catchphrase, Everybody dies, sweetheart! That crowd went nuts every time. I mean, sometimes he would say it slow, and so instead of just the crowd erupting in wild, spontaneous applause, it would be more of a, aww. Mm -hmm. But uh, still, brought down the house in some way or another every time. And uh, it's interesting. We get to see him use that line conversationally here. And I think this was its genesis. Oh, most assuredly so. Now, uh, I, of course, have my catchphrase, uh, what are you a fucking cop? And uh, as we've discussed, the ferret's catchphrase is, uh, everybody dies, sweetheart! What would you say your catchphrase is, Eddie? Oh, gosh. I think my catchphrase would probably be safety first. Oh, that's true. You do love safety. That's why you're always, uh, locking yourself up in that vault to prevent yourself from, uh, turning into a werewolf. Hey, safety is free. Let's all use it. Oh, there we go. All right, I can see that in a t-shirt. Right under a picture of you chained up in your vault. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Thank you. Well, one person who doesn't always put safety first, I gotta say, is the ferret. And that's part of what he's talking about with this lady. She introduces herself. Her name is uh, Catherine Blue, but uh, folks call her Midnight. And this is, of course, the reintroduction. Uh, she was a Golden Age character named uh, Lady Blue. But uh, now she's uh, rebranded as Midnight Blue. She's a butt-whooping superhero. And uh, this is her first introduction. So keep an eye out for her to come back over and over again. But this is where she first shows up. She's got some sexual chemistry with the ferret. Um, her character in the sitcom, of course, was played by Rhea Perlman. Very, very interesting casting choice. And I gotta say, Rhea knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. But they went with a kind of different uh, different direction visually for the character here. Uh, and I'm not mad at either of them. But uh, here's where things start to come to a head a little bit. Because as they're having their conversation outside of the club, we're starting to see a, a familiar face, I think it's safe to say. Our old pal Toxin. So, uh, yeah, Toxin. Shows up and, uh, you know, he's a bad guy on a mission. He sees the um, Cal Denton poster, the one. Right, you're surmising that that is the only poster in town, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because there's no other reason why that place would not just be packed full of hipsters. Mm -hmm. And he's confused. He kind of scratches his head. He's like, I doesn't understand uh, date. The date time format on it is confusing to him. But he remembers someone telling him, hey, if you find Cal Denton, you find the ferret. Right. And then he just loses his shit. And uh, there's a beautiful panel in which you just see his fists 
out in front of him as he's uh, charging towards the door of the Inferno, and uh, you know some stuff is about to happen. Oh boy, it sure is. And I just want to say, I gotta say, on a certain regard, his confusion when he sees the poster is sort of reasonable, because it is pretty rare that you will see the year on a flyer. Like, normally, I think they figure you'll see the flyer and assume that it's that year. Well, it's for uh, collectability. Sure, sure. I just think maybe he sees that flyer and he's scratching his head saying, like, I guess they don't pay by the digit, because that's a bit of a ripoff if they're paying for the 1993 on there. Mm. I would be a little bit confused by that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you're the musician in the group. We all just heard your beautiful singing voice. Thank now, you. when you were having flyers for your, your old band, uh, well, what was that band called again? It was uh, Ed and the Mechanics. Oh, yeah, that's right. You won that band from Mike in that poker game. I remember that now. He asked if you'd take Genesis instead, and you, you told him to take a hike, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were playing with, Ed, with the Mechanics, Ed, and you would have a flyer up there. Would it normally have the, the the year on there? Oh, no, just month and day. Yeah, it seems like that's the more economical choice. Oh, yeah. And so, so you could probably understand Toxin's confusion there, too. Oh, sure. Were you guys ever tempted to write a song from the perspective of a supervillain? Like maybe a Samurai Sam song or something like that? Oh, sure. I mean, I think everybody has been. Haven't you? Well, I I got no uh, musical acumen there. I'm just, uh, you know, everyday amateur veterinarian. (laughs) You're just in it for the horse pills. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, what, are you a fucking cop? Hey! (laughs) There it is. Uh, Seriously, though, Eddie. Still not a cop. Okay, thanks. Gotta say it. So then we flip to the next page, and uh, looks like... uh, Blue and Cal are arm wrestling, which, you know, probably a better match than uh, Cal would have been expecting, because I don't believe he knew that Midnight was a superhero at this point. I thought they were playing uh, Mercy. Oh, is that what they're doing? You know that game where you try and bend the other person's knuckles and hand back over? Yeah, I think that might just be bullying. I'm not sure if that's an actual game. Oh. Either way, it does look like maybe that's what they're playing. I thought they were arm wrestling. Uh, either way, I guess something in their relationship turned acrimonious in a way that they were perhaps not anticipating. But they are interrupted by the arrival of Toxin just uh, bursting through the wall and demanding that he uh, be told where the ferret is. And Cal, you know, ferret of action that he is, jumps up. Great panel. It's like uh, kind of jumping right out at you. Nice sure. fuchsia or pink, hot pink background. He says, uh, hey, uh, stay right where you are, Midnight. I'll take care of this. It looks like he's ready to throw down. Now, there's an interesting thing going on with the layout of this panel. Does it look uh, like a familiar shape to you? It looks like a, like a trading card. Okay, so that would be one vote for a, a rectangle. Yeah. See, to me, it's shaped like a giant lowercase i, the whole page. And specifically, it looks like it's shaped like the logo for Image Comics, who you'll remember was publishing Youngblood at the time. Yeah. Well, Malibu Comics, who was publishing The Ferret, had kind of a sweetheart deal. They were doing the distribution for Image. So to me, this whole page is like uh, saying, uh, Hey, uh, Youngblood, you want to have a team up with The Ferret sometime? And my God, can you imagine? 
Wow, it's amazing that they they didn't catch that. Well, I mean, maybe they saw the invitation, maybe they didn't. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that old uh, Region Erection uh, Jones got a, his own uh, snowboard from Extreme Studios saying, uh, yeah, let's get this thing done, but maybe things just didn't work out for whatever reason. Yeah, it's a complicated business. Yeah, but just imagine what could have been. I mean, on any satoids in the English language, then then uh, what could have been? I mean, maybe that thing about the baby shoes where nobody's wearing a baby shoe because I guess your baby doesn't like shoes. I don't know. I guess having a hippie for a baby's pretty sad. I never really understood that one. Anyway, moving along. Next couple of pages are just a big old knockdown, drag out fight with uh, the ferret. And Toxin, Toxin doesn't know what's going on. Ferret doesn't know what's going on with Toxin. I don't believe that Toxin even knows that Cal is the ferret. He just thinks he knows where the ferret is. Uh, maybe he thought that uh, the ferret was still Cal Dalton, not Cal Denton. So that was the, the source of the confusion there. But uh, Midnight Blue gets up in the mix. Uh-oh, doesn't go so good for her. Nope, she's in deep trouble. Well, especially she left her, uh, her weapons out in the van. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Nice to know she's got a van, though. Oh, sure. That's a lot of weapons you can fit in a van. Yeah, she could have had several of those giant guns that the ferret could tape knives and claws to. Mm-hmm. But uh, she gets knocked out, and the uh, ferret makes sure that she's okay. But then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put my costume on. And then uh, calls uh, Toxin Captain Ugly. Ouch! Captain Ugly's actually a different villain. He's not the main villain that uh, Ferret and the Protectors run up against, though. That fellow was a guy called uh, Mr. Monday. He was another Golden Age uh, villain that got resuscitated alongside the Protectors, which did, of course, lead to the, uh, the big crossover event of the Millennium, a lot of people would call it, the uh, Garfield-the-Ferret crossover. That's amazing. Yeah, so uh, they both hated Mr. Monday. Uh, but uh, back to back to the ferret's fight with Toxin. He changes his clothes awfully quickly. Yeah, not not quick enough to stop uh, Midnight Blue from getting KO'd. But uh, so I think that was kind of a bad move. Yeah, one would say it's easy to uh, Midnight Ferret back these things, though. It's like a Monday morning quarterback, but uh, you know, he, he usually fights at uh, about. 11 p.m., so relitigating one of his fights with the benefit of hindsight, uh, it would be a midnight ferret back. Okay. It's a very common expression. I'm surprised you haven't heard it, but uh, today's a day for surprises, I suppose, eh? I guess it is. We're all learning so much. But, uh, yeah, he calls him Captain Ugly, erroneously, I guess. Says, hey, we gotta take this outside. You know, true gentleman. And he is. Smashes him through a window. Uh-oh. I really gotta say, I'm not a big fan of what happens next. Fella, he's driving down the street. He's uh, got a nice little mustache on this guy. He looks as though he's about to take a big chop out of his steering wheel. And then he's like, oh, no time to eat my steering wheel now. I gotta uh, steer it to avoid smacking into these jib-jabs. And uh, smacks right into a fire hydrant. Yep. And that's the part you're not a fan of. Well, no, good on him. For not running people over. But uh, it's a shame that uh, and we run into this a lot. Not so much in the gerbils. They're, they're fine with the property destruction. But uh, it's just a very unsafe 
uh, thing mm. to do to tackle somebody through a window into the street and roll around in the street fighting. I, su- I suppose that's true. It does go counter to your philosophy of uh, safety first and last and all that. Yeah. Mind you, if they hadn't done that, we would never have learned that a fire hydrant makes the noise crangoosh, which uh, I was certainly edified to discover. Yeah, I did not know that. It's an interesting sound. That's a beautifully rendered panel, too. Man, is that fire hydrant full of water. Oh, man, the artwork in this issue. Just, oh, chef kiss. Just, uh, if I was a chef, I would be making out with that, uh, that picture. Which, it's a good thing I'm not a chef, I guess, because I wouldn't want to get this issue soggy. Very expensive comic book. Oh, very valuable. Of course, it's a collectible item. You get your, uh, your reintroduction of toxin, uh, inspiration for that beautiful Britney Spears song, and you get the initial lyrics to uh, screwing with your head and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So many precious memories just uh, encapsulated in this. It's it's uh, like a scrapbooking project come to life, but really uh, it captures rather than just an image of you taking uh, your dog kite fishing. Hey, that's where you would your dog uh, hang off of a kite and go fishing, of course. Very popular activity. A lot of people love it all, all, all the day. Um, instead of just capturing one of those moments, it really is capturing an entire zeitgeist of a generation. Yeah, well put. Well, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. The, uh, the mustache guy, yeah, you say he crashes into the hydrant. Toxin and Ferret keep fighting. Sure, the ferret says something, uh, now I have to fight him with my brain as well as my fist, mm-hmm. which made me very excited because I thought maybe this would be the inspiration for an action figure I had as a kid, where the ferret, the top of his head would shoot off and you could fire his brain out at people. Now, that's not what happens here, unfortunately, but that was a fun toy. You're always missing the brain, and they didn't sell replacement brains easily. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't recall them selling any replacement parts for any action figures that had the bits that shot off well especially not this one because some uh some kid choked on the brain and uh oopsie doozy guess we can't have no more fun toys sheesh call the ferret you know oh yeah he would he would be telling him he'd read him the riot act on that one i would oh boy anyway uh so the ferret uh sticks his elbow in a fire hydrant sure like you do mm-hmm. which makes a swoof which throws venom wait a minute what what the fuck is a venom have a ridiculous name for a comic book villain uh sorry which throws a toxin out of the picture for a minute yeah toxin hates that and not like in a melty kind of a way it seemed as though water might be his weakness or something but nah he's just i guess uh not crazy about being damp they have a big old uh smack em up punch time with uh, a lot of sound effects and uh shit like that going down the whole to-do. Yep. And uh, ultimately, looks like the ferret's getting the upper hand. Yep. Smashes a uh, toxin into a, another car, which I don't, I don't like. But uh, he does. You know, good for him. Chowox him in the jaw. Pretty good. Sure, you see a lot of blood flying every which away. Mm-hmm. Gives him a yeah, which is a knee. Yep, of course. That's We all know that that's the noise that, uh, that a knee makes. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I was terrified the first time I heard the Buster Rhyme song, Woo-ha, because, you know, at the beginning, there's all of those ya 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 yas. I thought, oh, crap, I've earned the enmity of uh, Buster Rhymes. What's he gonna do at me? 
Uh, but but he, he was not. It was an unrelated beef that we had. Had nothing to do with these strikes. Anyways. Toxin looks like he's about to blow a spit bubble or something at the uh, ferret. And the ferret's thinking, oh no, I don't understand what's happening. I gotta say, as a reader, I, I also don't understand what's happening. But, uh, uh-oh. I guess what's happening is he's got one of them alien tongues where there's a little fella on top of it or something. And he stabs it out like a spear and, uh, punches the ferret through the chest with his pointy tongue bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks very uncomfortable. Yeah, the ferret's all confused. He's like, what you doing? And uh, Toxin's like, I killed ya. Okay, bye. And then he starts uh, just wandering off. Mm-hmm. Hell of a thing. Yeah. The good news is it's to be continued. Ah, oh, and boy will it be. And uh, so this is kind of starting a new chapter for our little endeavor. We're going to be covering the next uh, several hundred issues of The Ferret. And uh, I got to say, I could not be more excited about this. How are you feeling? This is your first Ferret comic book. Were you just floored by it? Oh, yeah, I'm speechless. It's hard to comprehend what it's going to be like to read uh, several hundred more issues of this book. Oh, boy, I can't wait till we get the, uh, where he teams up with the Golden Age ferret. The ferrets of two worlds. They get stuck in a habit trail together. They have to rescue Garfield from Mr. Monday. It's a whole thing. The habit trail's made of lasagna. You're gonna fucking love it. Oh. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be spoiling these things for you. I'm just, uh, I'm so excited. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you for finally reading a ferret comic there. I appreciate that, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to read this amazing story. Well, I'm happy you could. And, you know, you could uh, you can be kind of a surrogate for the maybe one in two million people out there who aren't familiar with the source material here. So, uh, really, it's a, it's a win-win, uh, but we got a little bit more work to do here. A while ago, we had a song commissioned for when we cover the minutia bits. I think the fellow who wrote it, Rick, didn't really understand the work request, but uh, I'm not sending good money after bad, so it's going to stand the way it is. He threw in something about a guy named Corey who I guess likes to eat fats. I, I don't know if he's got a personal relationship with this guy or who this fuck is, but uh, whatever. You ready to get into the minutia? Yeah, sounds like a gross misunderstanding to me, but uh, let's, let's give it a listen. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I don't really see another explanation than there's some guy named Corey and he likes to eat farts. Yeah, so, uh, I guess just his brother, you know, probably like in a way farts into his mouth to be a polite person. But uh, well, that's some wild speculation there. I, I don't know how you could get that from the song, but uh, let let's just listen to it. All right. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Okay, thanks for singing that song there, Rick. I gotta say, I stand by my initial analysis of it. Likewise. Now, uh, Dr. Ed, let's start off with uh, what's a new category, because we're covering uh, a new comic book. Uh, every week, we're going to ask the question, in this issue, who was the most marvelous mustelid? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mustelid, of course, being the uh, genus of animal that the uh, the ferret and uh, several other scent sack possessing mammals belong to. Uh, which character who was named after a mustelid in this comic do you think did the best job? Yeah, I took a I took a look. Uh, you know, I was hoping for a stoat, 
Oh, sure. I'd love to see a stoat. Mm-hmm. Or a Martin. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Martin's very popular. These are two of the more popular ripoffs of the ferret that you saw. There was even that sitcom Martin mm-hmm. that was about a Martin who had all kinds of crazy hijinks with his pal Shanae Right, yeah. And, uh, there was no otters. No, I didn't see an otter up in here. Nor a polecat. Okay. These are, these are all mustelids. None of them appeared in the issue. You mentioned the pink mink earlier. I didn't see, I didn't see the pink mink. Nope, that's why in this issue, my choice was the ferret. Yeah, I had to go with the ferret, too. I, I couldn't find any other uh, mustelids uh, to choose from. Yeah, it's possible I may have made a miscalculation when I uh, decided this was going to be our category. But uh, once I make a decision, it stands. You know that. So uh, for the next several hundred issues, we will be uh, picking out probably the ferret as a choice for this category pretty much every time. Well, that's, that's going to feel good for the ferret. Now, Ed, what in this issue was your piece of uncooked carrot? Uh, we all know that ferrets, of course, can't digest uh, uncooked carrots. If they get them, they'll block up their, uh, their shit tubes and then they'll, uh, they'll die or something. Now, what in this issue did you have trouble digesting, much like a ferret would have trouble digesting a piece of uncooked carrot? Well, we already touched on it a little bit. I wasn't crazy about on page 12 his uh, disguising what, what he clearly knows is a bad choice, which is that pack of uh, ostensibly lucky strikes that he's enjoying. But disguising those bad choices is a self-effacing banter. But, mm. you know, without any acknowledgement of the power dynamics about, uh, you know, kids may look up to uh, rock stars or superheroes. Uh, may look up to the ferret. I'm sorry, but they definitely do. Especially, as I said, at the uh, Macy's Day uh, Thanksgiving parade, where they literally have to look up at that giant balloon of the ferret, who is, uh, yeah, smoking a lucky strike. Yeah. Which seems dangerous on a number of levels. So I didn't appreciate that, but um, I don't think that's my least favorite thing. That's not my uncooked carrot of the issues. What that, what that is, is, I mean, this is... My introduction to uh, this character in the in the comic format, and I didn't see him once rub his scent glands on a single thing. Oh boy, you are gonna like issue two, but I I, I understand, you know, devoid of that context, that would be a, a, a glaring omission. So, uh, yeah, my uncooked piece of carrot in this issue is uh. I know 1993 was a different time, but I really just didn't care for the way that uh, Dr. Slick there was was hitting on his co-worker and neglecting his job. I know he kind of gets his just desserts and getting disemboweled by toxin there, uh, and he does come back as Doc Goofy. But uh, yeah, the whole situation just didn't sit quite right with me. Yeah, it was a little creepy. And definitely unsafe. Now, conversely, Ed, we all know that a ferret's favorite thing is running away during a class show and tell and getting trapped in the walls of an elementary school. So, in this issue, what was your uh, running away during a class show and tell and getting trapped in the walls of an elementary school? This is probably the toughest one, because there are so many highlights. Yeah, so many iconic moments here. Yeah, but I gotta say, strangely enough, it's not a scene that involved a ferret and it was on page 10 and it is just that expression of that i don't know this boundless joy 
that you get from remembering something that you are supposed to do. Like learning your true purpose in life, really. And that's when uh, Toxin Kool-Aid Man's through that wall and shouts, Kill Ferret. He just looks pleased as punch. Ah, sure. I think that's one of the reasons why that character has uh, been so popular and enduring over the years is they injected so much pathos into him mm. that, uh, you know, that's why you're able to have your Toxin miniseries and spinoffs. And you're right, that look of joy on his face. I disapprove of his killing the ferret plan, but uh, I gotta say, he goes about it in style. Indeed. My running away during a class show and tell and getting trapped in the walls of an elementary school in this issue. We touched on it previously, but uh, that whole panel that's just shaped like a lowercase i. It's uh, a whole page of that. And uh, just as flawed as I was by how gorgeous this issue is, the possibility of having all of those great Youngblood characters team up with the protectors, and maybe they could fight Mr. Monday together. I don't know, maybe Garfield's there, maybe he's not. I don't give a fuck. But, uh, what an, oh, just a potential there. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, my heart stopped for a minute. It's okay. I think it's a, back. Take another drink of your uh, V8 special. Oh, uh, we don't have the V8 this week, remember? I I'm sorry, I hate to keep bringing it up, but, uh, Mr. Kloppy fucked out on us. God. Gonna hurt when he falls off his high horse. God, I mean, like I said, I, I wish him best of luck on his walk with Christ, but uh, maybe walk back in this direction and get me some of that scripts. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Okay, what was your favorite phrasing in this comic? Well, I, I think you've already been uh, exposed to my mellifluous tones, and it's... Uh, oh, what the, a treat! The, the biggest treat, but it's the ferrets. Amazing, evocative, not at all confusing lyrics for his hit song. Okay, if you don't feel like singing them again, I, I understand. I don't want you to fly uh, too close to the sun and uh, melt your horse tranquilizer wings, but uh, if, if you could just uh, give us maybe a dramatic reading of those words, because I'd love to hear them again. Yeah, no, I don't want to burn my vocal cords out. You know, got some shows coming up. So, uh, it's, a uh, welcome to my inner gloom. Electric visions fill the room. Pay no mind to what I said. I only want to screw your head. Oh, just gorgeous. Really makes you think. It's, it's like, uh, Jim Morrison is still with us today. It was, uh, God rest his soul. It was really channeling Morrison there, I feel. Now, uh, my favorite words, I think, uh, probably have something to do with uh, me just remembering that uh, Werner Herzog uh, ferret movie. Uh, but the opening narration just reminds me so much, and I always hear it in my head in the Werner Herzog voice, where he's just sharing his philosophizing about man and nature and the interconnectedness, you know. And, and, uh, and the ferret, he's got his gorgeous, just blonde mullet, just flowing in the breeze. He's uh, pointing his taint out for the whole world to see. Uh, it's possibly where he keeps his sense sack. Nobody knows for sure. As I said, his origin's fairly nebulous. Yeah, but, but he's just, uh, I, I hear the narration running in my head the way it was in the movie, and it just fits so perfectly. He's like, Health office felt man is a lot like the animals he shares the planet with. Some are predators, some are prey, some are just parasites. I hate that kind most of all. It's just, you know, I can hear Werner Herzog saying it, and it's just so gorgeous. 
Joy. Yeah. Finally, it reminded me a little more of uh, Aguirre Wrath of God. Oh, yeah. You know, was that, that was with that Klaus Kinski yeah, there? Yeah, got a real Klaus Kinski kind of feel to it. Oh, boy, Klaus K- Kinski make a hell of a ferret. He would have made an amazing ferret with those eyes. Maybe they can CGI him up into it. You know what I'm saying? I sure hope so. Oh, boy, just the possibilities, especially now that Disney owns the, uh, the MCU, the Malibu Cinematic Universe. <laughs> you, you get all of these possibilities coming up at you. So now, I don't know. I just think there's some exciting uh, thoughts that could happen here. These are exciting thoughts we live in. Now, uh, what was your favorite picture in this uh, comic book? Oh, gosh. You know, despite my strong feelings about safety, the way that the the scene on page 19 in which it was rendered where that scared driver looks like he's going to eat his steering wheel and then his eyes are also above his head real big so you can see how scared he is. Oh, boy. And then the car swerving and, and hitting that fire hydrant and then the fire hydrant shooting water like almost up into the viewer's face. It's, it's amazing. Boy, I tell you, Dean Zachary is a, uh, this may seem sacrilegious, but I believe that he is giving Sir Rob Liefeld, uh, he, he was knighted a couple of times now, a run for his money. And uh, that picture belongs in a museum. It is really something. Uh, my favorite is actually the last panel of the book as the ferret lies dying on the floor. Toxin's walking away from him saying, I killed ya. It's the whole thing's done really beautifully, but there's just a lovely bit of foreshadowing where you see the moon has these claw marks that seem to have ripped pieces of it out. And it just reminds me of, uh, I'm sorry, there's a spoiler, but I'm pretty sure you won't remember it. Uh, you tend not to remember one episode to the next. If there's a full moon in between them when you're raging out in your bank vault, you sometimes bop your noggin a bit. Not to be telling that tales out of school there, Ed. But, uh... As the, the claw marks on the moon are actually foreshadowing of a multi-pack crossover that's coming up over a hundred issues from now, where the cosmic ferret time travels back to the past and tries to claw the moon to death. And just seeing that level of storytelling, that back in the first issue, you're setting something up that happens in issue 103. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I, I feel like we're going to be there in no time at all. Well, we will if Mr. Cloppy mixes up those prescriptions again. Why do you think they prescribe horse cocaine anyway? Well, it's just they probably aren't feeling handsome or talkative enough. Oh, that's true. That's true. Mr. Cloppy's a closed-mouthed fella. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard him say a single word. Well, there you go. Which is a good goddamn thing, because, uh, you know, snitches get stitches. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that wraps up uh, today's episode of Loosen Up the Offense. Uh, it was a pleasure discussing the ferret with you, uh, Eddie. Uh, what you got coming up uh, on the docket for this next week? Well, I'm just uh, staying in the vault, keeping abreast of the lunar cycles, you know. Oh, is it a full moon again this week? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, it's getting there. Now, have you ever actually had any evidence that you might be a werewolf, or is this just another example of Ed being Ed with the better safe than sorry? I mean, what do you define evidence? Well, you know, you ever had a purple urine? Um. It's a well-known evidence of lycanthropy. Oh, gosh, yeah, I just always attributed that to the cocktails, you know? Oh, that's a good point, uh. 
the one we're drinking today is pretty purple. Yeah, yeah. What, what's uh, what's the what's the expression though? Uh, purple pee in morning. Uh, livestock take warning. Purple pee at night. Oh shit! It's a fucking werewolf. Yeah, that's the old chestnut. Right. Okay. Well, until next time. Hang loose, fucknuts. No offense. Hey, everybody dies, sweetheart. Oh, you're getting it. We'll turn you into a ferret head yet. Beautiful. Yeah, that's what I figured when I saw the empty mason jar and the uh, ferret comics around. No, not not at all. I, I appreciate you letting me know. Th thank you. Sorry, listeners. This is Hub from Tighten Up the Defense. My friend Mr. Cloppy here tells me that uh, Ed and Gary were back up to their shenanigans again. <laughs> yeah, you said it, man. Anyway, I hope they didn't mess things up too badly. Me and Corey will be back next week with a Defenders episode. So again, sorry about the inconvenience. And uh, hey, happy April 1st. <laughs> no, Mr. Cloppy, for the last time, I am not a cop. Hey, those chewable vitamins were for everybody. <laughs>